Hello, everybody. I am Drew Duncan. We are live. The show is called Fired Up. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram is all at Drew Duncan Radio. Additionally, you can find me on YouTube and TikTok simply by looking for Drew Duncan. And if you missed the show live, I am wherever you are listening to podcasts. Simply tell your device to play Fired Up by Drew Duncan on iTunes, iHeart, Deezer, Google Podcasts, wherever you are listening. I am there. Plenty to get to today, guys. Obviously, we're going to be doing a preview of LSU and Florida State. Montana says that Marino is the go at quarterback. Eric Lewis resigns. That saga continues to get deeper. Additionally, we're going to be talking about Florida versus Utah. Fantasy leagues. Why has it exploded? Stephen A. Smith says that Kansas City is not a dynasty. Arizona, they released Colt McCoy in lieu of signing Joshua Dobbs. And now, of course, tanking rumors for Caleb Williams are beginning to circulate. And the Daryl Morey-James Harden saga is much deeper than you think. Again, this fired up. I am Drew Duncan. We are brought to you in part by Block 50 Global Radio. All right. First thing is first, LSU, Florida State, going to be the huge game, a rematch from a year ago that was just an absolute classic. And it is because of games like this that, again, I maintain you don't need preseason rankings. I think last season, both of these teams went into this game unranked for whatever reason going into this game. They are both in the top 10. Now, I will say this. We could be looking at some potential Heisman candidates. I know everybody has got their eye on Sam Hartman. Everybody's got their eye on Caleb Williams. But this game could feature some other Heisman Trophy candidates. And this is honestly probably going to be a chance to show up and show out. I think everybody is expecting pretty much a repeat of a season ago. Now, as I've always said, last season doesn't really matter in a lot of ways. We can look at last season and see how they may have improved going into this season where maybe they've gotten worse going into this season. But that's really about it. See where maybe some things need to be cleaned up. For instance, if I'm LSU, the things that I'm looking at is Jane Daniels, who to me is already beyond his years as a quarterback. Very patient in the pocket. If you're going to give him time to throw the football, which he doesn't get very often, by the way, he will sit back there and wait for somebody to get open. I mean, I watched LSU last year, and I just thought if they had an offensive line for this guy, they would probably be in a position to go look for a national championship. The past defense was one of the better in all of college football. Overall, the defense, I think, ranked 34th in college football in points per game. I think they only gave up 20 a season ago. Where they were bad was the run game. Defensively, I think they were giving up somewhere in the neighborhood of 154 points. So obviously going into this season, to me, when I look at what Brian Kelly needed to do with LSU was probably work on the interior part of both offense and defense. Things that I would probably do, honestly, if I was LSU, I'd run some quick out routes. I'd use it kind of like a mid-range run game. I would bring up those safeties, and when they're – Creeping up, and they're going to the outside. You're going to have that seam wide open. And Jane Daniels can get the ball there. Very quick release. And he's got enough strength to where he doesn't have to step into his throws. Just literally the flick of the wrist. And if you ask me, 
we should probably be talking about Jane Daniels as the season progresses as a Heisman Trophy candidate. I mean, everybody, you know, you could talk about naturation and all that stuff all you want to. Jaden Daniels is a quarterback that I saw last year that I thought if he wanted to, he was probably pro-ready. There's some things to clean up, but overall, his athleticism combined with that arm strength, I'm not really sure. I'll be honest. I think Jaden Daniels is a better quarterback than Caleb Williams, and I'm just being 100%. He's in a much tougher situation conference-wise. Played a far more difficult schedule. He doesn't have near the offensive line. He doesn't have a coach that is running around and making everywhere he's been mad. He ducked out of Cincinnati, didn't finish a job over there, goes to Notre Dame, skips out on Notre Dame at the last second, goes to LSU. He's running around talking about how he doesn't want these student-athletes to get revenue shares and he wants them to stay student-athletes and not make more money and be basically paid like professionals. He doesn't have that issue. I mean, if you ask me, Kayla Williams is in a better situation overall. And I think that Jaden Daniels would do a lot more with USC. I'm just being real. As I did say defensively, they had a very difficult time stopping the run a season ago. So I'm going to be looking to Perkins at inside linebacker stepping up. I think Mason Smith, a defensive tackle, could make a bit of a difference. So we'll see. Obviously, they're going to have to clean up special teams. I mean, anybody who watched that game last year knows exactly how it ended. A couple of missed field goals, the extra point. That's obviously, I think, going to be a point of emphasis for LSU as well. As far as Florida State goes, look, I know that people are going to be talking about the improvement last year from the quarterback, Jordan Travis. And I think a lot of people are probably going to be discussing him potentially being a Heisman Trophy candidate. And look, I get it. The guy's been in college football for a while. We didn't see a lot out of him. I think it was in the the two years leading up to last season. He threw for just a little over 2,500 yards in both of those years combined. Last year, he shot up through the roof and threw for over 3,000 yards. I don't know that I'm a big fan of his arm strength. I will say this. He protects the football very well. In fact, in the last three seasons combined, he's only thrown 17 interceptions. And he only threw five a year ago. But this is a much better pass defense, at least from a season ago, what we saw in LSU, that he could be facing. Now, I'll be honest with you. If I'm looking at Florida State to win this football game, I'm thinking about Trey Benson at running back. And I think he is going to be potentially a Heisman Trophy candidate. Look, he had over 1,300 yards, all-purpose yards, a season ago, which, by the way, was top 10 all college football. There's nowhere he can't go, whether it's up the middle, around the outside. He's very shifty. To be honest with you, when he runs the football, the guy that he reminds me of is Eddie George, Clinton Portis. Those are guys that he reminds me of, especially Clinton Portis, because Clinton had that move where like midair, it just seemed like he could juke you. And I'm telling you, I have seen Benton or Benton do pretty much the same thing. 
He's very versatile. He had, you know, what was that, a kick return also in addition to everything else for a touchdown a season ago? So we're talking kick returns, punt returns, running the football, catching the football, pretty good blocker overall. I think he's the best running back in college football coming into this season. And as I made mention of, LSU had a really difficult time stopping the run last year. But conversely, so did Florida State. So we may see both of these two teams attack the running point. However, LSU, their starters out going into this game. So for LSU, it really is going to be up to Jaden Daniels. For Florida State, I think it's going to be on Trey Benson. You get him going, and you are going to take a lot of pressure off of Jordan Travis and the passing game. The thing with Jordan Travis is, did he plateau a season ago? After all this time that he spent in college football, I'm going to tell you how long he's been there. When he was at Louisville, so was Lamar Jackson. That's how long he's been in college football. I really think that for Florida State, it's going to be about running the football and stopping Jane Daniels for LSU it's going to be about stopping the run and figuring out creative ways to run the football against Florida State and maybe try and milk the clock I'm not looking to hurry up at all if I'm LSU guys I am Drew Duncan we are live the show is called fired up Facebook Twitter and Instagram is all at Drew Duncan radio I'm on TikTok and YouTube simply look for the real Drew Duncan I am brought to you in part by Block 50 Global Radio. If you miss the show live, I am wherever you are listening to the podcast. Plenty more to get to. We've got Marino talking about him. Montana says he's the GOAT. Eric Lewis will be back right after this. everybody i am drew duncan you guys are checking me out live on the show fired up facebook twitter and instagram is all at drew duncan radio additionally i'm on tiktok and youtube simply look for the real drew duncan and of course wherever you are listening to the podcast i am there spreaker itunes iheart google etc simply tell your device to play fired up by drew duncan i am brought to you in part by block 50 Global Radio. Still plenty to get to today. We're going to be talking about Arizona. Many believe that they are starting to tank. Stephen A. Smith says that Kansas City is not a dynasty. Daryl Morey and James Harden. It's a little bit deeper than you think. Obviously, we're going to be talking about Florida and Utah a little bit later on. In the meantime, Joe Montana says that Dan Marino is the GOAT. He went on to talk about Dan Marino's passing yards and the era that he was doing it in against the type of defenses that he was doing it in. He made mention that Dan Marino had this amazing release and he didn't even have to step into his throws and Joe Montana was comparing all that to his own footwork. He talked about how Dan Marino basically made the NFL what it is today in terms of being a pass-happy league. Joe Montana, respectfully, I disagree. I understand people's sentiment about Tom Brady, which, by the way, at one point, Montana said it was him. But 
I respect people's sentiment about Tom Brady and, and part of his era where the rules really began to adapt and change and move into a completely different direction in, in football in general, not just in the NFL, but football in general. But whether we like it or not, the NFL is still a tough league. I would encourage anybody to get hit by a linebacker in the NFL. Go for it if you want to. What I am saying to you is, while I respect what Dan Marino did, he had a Hall of Fame head coach who just basically got really pass happy. And when we start looking at the GOAT debate, and a lot of people will say, well, you know, it's just that Marino is one of the greatest of all time to never win, and he never really had a team. Well, we've already stated that he had a Hall of Fame head coach in Don Shula, so let's just get that out of the way. Then let's just talk about one football team that he had for, if I remember right, a couple of years. I mean, on one team alone, wasn't there Mark Ingram, Irving Fryer, Keith Byers, Keith Jackson? Then on defense, didn't they have uh, Mike Golick and Brian Cox? Why is it everybody acts like Dan Marino was just so empty-handed for his entire career? And what I really don't understand is how you can say he was so good. Wasn't Dan Marino 8-10 and 10 in the playoffs? Now, I understand that when you start looking at passing statistics, one of the kind of things that should jump out to you is the fact that in the top 10, Dan Marino's the only one that hasn't played a game into the year 2000 or beyond. But let's not forget the absolute ass-whipping that he got from the Jets or the Jaguars, pardon me, wasn't it 62-7 to in his last, his last playoff game? Got obliterated. 8-10 and 10 in the playoffs. Went to one Super Bowl. They got beat, what was it, 38-16 in that game? Then they lost another Super Bowl, 29-10. Or pardon me, a playoff game, 29-10. Then another playoff game, 31-14, 37-22, 17-3. I mean, all of a sudden, the playoffs would happen, and it was like, where's Dan Marino's offense? Turnovers, just incapable. And don't tell me that it's because he wasn't on a solid football team because he was. The reality of it is, most people will tell you that he should have a Super Bowl ring around his finger, but supposedly it was Dan Marino who spearheaded the celebration beforehand, took all the guys out drinking on Saturday night, and on Sunday, how did they do? You never celebrate before you get to the end zone. Ask a couple of receivers in the NFL about that. You never decide that it's over until it's over. You never decide that it's over till it's over. And even then, let's just say that that's not the case, that that's just rumorville and, and hearsay and all this other stuff. When you go back and you look at Dan Marino's career, what can you really say about him other than the fact that he was a prolific passer? Now, I know somebody's going to go, well, that's the job of a quarterback. It was in the era of Marino where we saw John Elway, Randall Cunningham, Steve Young. These guys were emerging as more than just quarterbacks they were true dual threat quarterbacks and if you don't like what I have to say that's fine but if you ask Tony Dungy 
about who he would take. He would take John Elway. He would take John Elway over Peyton Manning. Big part of the reason, the mobility. Dan Marino was a hell of a quarterback, do not get me wrong. But let's be honest, once the playoffs came around, he tanked. He got found out. That's what happened. I mean, come on, isn't there a lot of people that believe that Peyton Manning is pretty much the best regular season quarterback who ever lived? You could pretty much say the same thing for Dan Marino. He is the best regular quarter quarterback who probably ever played the game. But when he got to the playoffs, that was it. He went to one Super Bowl and he never got back. For all the people's blustering about John Elway and him being overrated and all this other stuff, he went to three Super Bowls and he dragged three very, very, and I mean very, mediocre football teams kicking and screaming to those Super Bowls. His running back at the time, what was it, Sammy Winder? You want to talk about Dan Reeves surviving on three yards in a cloud of dust. He had a thousand yards rushing after having somewhere in the neighborhood of like five or six hundred carries. It took him that long. That offensive line couldn't have blocked a high school football team. Those receivers, Mark Jackson, Vance Johnson, they wouldn't have been on anybody else's roster. If somebody else would have been the quarterback of that football team, those receivers would have been traded out and washed out of the NFL for a long time. Elway made Dan Reeves look like a better coach than he was, and he made those receivers look better than they really were. Can you say the same thing about Dan Marino? I mean, when you've got Mark Ingram, let's be honest, he looked pretty good everywhere he went. Because didn't Mark Ingram also play for the Cleveland Browns, if I'm not mistaken? You brought those talent in. Uh, didn't, you, didn't they bring in Irving Fryer, I think, from Washington, if I remember right? Because I know neither one of those guys started in Miami. And I don't think either one of them finished there either. So you're bringing in talent for Dan Marino, and it doesn't work out. Now, look, I am of the mind and of the opinion that you can bring in whoever you want to, and it may not work out for 101 reasons, whether they can't get along with that group of guys in a locker room you know, the, that that locker room culture is just not to, you know, their whatever it is, their personality traits. It could be the play calling, system designs, you know, overuse of a certain athlete. But I felt like those Miami teams were pretty well balanced. And they probably should have won more games with that squad than they did. I mean, it wasn't that like 93 and they only went like 9-7, and seven, if I remember correctly. I'm not saying Marino wasn't great. He was amazing. And I'm not saying that he always had the best players around him. And it doesn't have to be Hall of Fame guys for you to have a good squad around you. I just think that when it came time for the playoffs, Dan Marino really wasn't that guy. I don't know what happened. I don't know where he left it at. I don't know where the juice went. I have no clue. All I'm saying is, is that when Dan Marino was in the regular season, there was probably nobody better. But when it came time to go to the playoffs, you cannot tell me that losing by 19, over 50, 15, 14, 17, come on, 22. And I understand it's a team game, but that's pretty consistent 
for the same guy being on your football team over and over again. After a while, we have to point to the common denominator. That common denominator was Dan Marino. That's whether we like it or not. I would probably put Dan Marino like in the top 10 of all time, but I certainly would not call him the GOAT. That would never happen. Not when you had Steve Young winning Super Bowls, Jim Kelly going to four straight Super Bowls. Yeah, he lost all of them, but he was there multiple times. And by the way, they beat Dan Marino in several playoff games. I'm just saying. When you start looking at the head-to-heads, everybody that came out of that draft, it's no wonder that Dan Marino went so late. I'm just being honest. At least late in the first round, I should say. Guys, the show is fired up. I am Drew Duncan. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram is all at Drew Duncan Radio. You can follow me on TikTok and YouTube, The Real Drew Duncan. And of course, I am wherever you're listening to podcasts. Simply tell your device to play Fired Up by Drew Duncan on iTunes, iHeart, wherever you're listening. I am there. I am brought to you in part by Block 50 Global Radio. Black 50 Global Radio is wherever you are on social media. Black 50 Global Radio. And, of course, they are wherever you are listening all the time. ZenoFM.com backslash Block 50 Global Radio. Plenty more to get to today. We're going to be talking about the Eric Lewis saga, him resigning. We're also going to dive into Arizona. Why did they let go of Colt McCoy and sign Joshua Dobbs? Stephen A. says that the Kansas City Chiefs are not a dynasty. Daryl Morey and James Harden gets a lot deeper than you think. We've got Florida and Utah to talk about fantasy leagues. We'll be back right after this. Don't you dare touch that dial. I am Drew Duncan. You guys are checking me out live on the show Fired Up. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram is all at Drew Duncan Radio. I'm also on TikTok and YouTube, so we look for the real Drew Duncan. And of course, wherever you are listening to podcasts, I am there. If you miss the show live, simply ask your device to play Drew Duncan Fired Up on iTunes, iHeart, Google, wherever you are listening, I am there. I am brought to you in part by Block 50 Global Radio. Still plenty to get to in today's show. We're going to be talking about Arizona. Are they tanking? Stephen A. Smith says that the Kansas City Chiefs are not a dynasty. Boy, Daryl Morey and James Harden, that thing, it goes back. 
it goes back. Florida versus Utah. Obviously, we're going to be talking about that. And uh, my my issue with fantasy leagues, I don't understand the hype behind it, if I'm being honest with you. In the meantime, Eric Lewis, I'm sure you know by now, resigned from refereeing. The so-called burner accounts were supposedly deleted. And the NBA has said that they are going to stop their investigation. But it didn't say investigation into what? It just alluded to the fact that they deleted the Twitter. So are they going to stop into the allegedly it was his burner account and he was talking about officiating when he's not allowed to per NBA terms? Or are they talking about everything? For those who don't know, Here's the quick rundown. Basically, there was a really questionable call, right, where LeBron James got fouled. Clearly, he was fouled. I'm not a fan of LeBron's flopping and all that and complaining, but I will say he he was fouled. It was a game against Boston, which is obviously significant because Eric Lewis was officiating that game. And a lot of people on social media said, dude, what the hell? Pat Beverly at the time went over, grabbed the camera, took it over to Eric Lewis and said, bro, here's here's the foul. And then Eric Lewis said, you're gone. Bam, teed him up. Okay. One announcer said it was egregious. Meanwhile, Van Gundy didn't believe he was like, no, dude, that was clearly a foul. Very warranted. Why are you giving him a tech? I, I tend to lean with Van Gundy in this particular situation. By the way, the alleged Twitter account was Blair Cutliffe. Sounds like a name on the hub. It just kind of reeks of, does the NBA really want to find out about this or not? Did Brody find the ultimate loophole? I mean, that's what you got to ask yourself. Did Eric Lewis think to himself, maybe if I just go and resign, delete these accounts, everything will be fine? The way that the NBA operates in terms of officiating is if you are an official in any capacity in the NBA, you are not allowed to discuss NBA officiating without the NBA's permission. So it sounds to me like you have to do an entire run-by of what's going on. So they're not going to allow you to just jump on Twitter or Facebook or IG or whatever and go, hey, look, that's not how this works, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They want a full out written, this is what you're going to do. This is all you're going to be allowed to do. You're probably going to get this one response, if anything at all. In fact, when you think about it, really, from the NBA, a lot of times what happens is you just get like one official going somewhere, making an announcement on whatever the situation is, and then... Bam, that ends it right there. They, they're not allowed to say anything else. So the NBA is control freak about this, and there's probably very good reasons for it. Because right now, there are plenty of people who are upset with the NBA, thinking that they are stopping the investigation about the Celtics games, which, by the way, all of this was started by a fan who, when Blair Cutliffe responded to him, He was like, no, bro, this dude is 54 and 29, or the Celtics are, when he officiates their games. 54 and 29 alone, let's put that in perspective, okay? 54 and 29. 
let's put that in perspective. That's basically a basketball season. That's 81 games. 54 and 29 was only a few games shy of being the best record in the NBA a season ago. Let's put that in perspective. 54 and 29, you're probably going to the playoffs and you're probably going to have a high seed. You're probably going to be two or three, maybe even one, depending on your conference. Now, if you look at it even further, then you'll see, I think, like Washington had 47 games. So you're kind of like, well, I mean, that's another Eastern team. But then you go down and you look at the Philadelphia 76ers in games that he officiated, and they are 36 and 38. So it gets a little deeper even there. So are they going to stop investigating whether or not that was him on Twitter? Or are they going to stop investigating whether or not he was fixing games? Because as I was beginning to allude to a moment ago, there was, wasn't it Tim Donahue who went to jail for fixing games as an official in the NBA? You, you think they want that kind of stuff out there? Hmm? Have you ever seen the documentary Playing for the Mob? I'm just saying they don't want those kinds of things out in the public eye. And why would they? That is absolutely horrendous for business. All publicity is good publicity, my ass. Not in this case. And I think the way that the NBA is handling this right now has a lot of people perking their ears up. And they should be. What are you protecting at this point? Do you not want to know? Do you know when you don't want to tell us? What part of this are you done with? Because right now the consensus is they put out a statement saying that they're going to stop the investigation. But I guess if you read that thing in context, you would think to yourself, or at least I do, they're just going to stop looking into the Twitter stuff. Okay, fine. If they're going to stop looking into the Twitter stuff, that's one thing. But if they're going to stop looking into whether or not he was sliding games purposely in favor of Boston, well, then that's a different problem altogether. And that's going to make everybody question everything right now with the Celtics. Look how good they were. Look at the $300 million that Jalen Brown just got. Jason Tatum is up next in the market. There are some very big issues right now with Boston. This is not a good look. And if I'm the NBA, I am clarifying that statement. Hey, we're just going to stop looking at the Twitter matter. He's resigned. We're not done, though. We're still going to look at these games with Boston. We've got a lot of games to review. It's 81 tapes alone during the regular season. We've got to go and check this out. It's going to be a while. We'll get back to you on it. At the bare minimum, that would be acceptable. Because we know that 81 games of basketball, you're not going to watch that in a few days. It's not skipping through. It's looking at every single call that was made specifically from Eric Lewis, but of course, you're going to have to go and look at all the other referee calls in that game as well. You're going to have to make sure that there's no conspiracies because now you're going to have to look at text messaging and everything else. You have to find that. You have to look at emails. It's going to get deep if they're going to keep doing it. 
again, the wording, difficult to understand where the NBA is coming from. But in my estimation, I look and I see a league that's done with the Twitter thing, but probably still going to take a look at the investigation with the Celtics and whether or not he was sliding games their direction. But I think that they're just trying to calm everything down right now. They don't want to know. They don't want people to know what else is out there. Silver is very good at protecting the NBA. I will tell you that. In fact, I would say he's outstanding at it. All right, everybody. I am Drew Duncan. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram is all at Drew Duncan Radio. I am wherever you're listening to podcasts. If you missed the show live, you can always find me on iTunes, iHeart, Google, etc. Simply tell your device to play Fired Up by Drew Duncan. I am brought to you in part by Block 50 Global Radio. Still plenty more to get to. Obviously, we're going to be talking about Florida and Utah a little bit later on. I can't stand fantasy football of any kind. Stephen A. Smith says Kansas City's not a dynasty. James Harden, Daryl Morey, that whole thing continues to erupt and evolve. We'll be back right after this. I am Drew Duncan. You guys are checking me out live, and the show is fired up. I am brought to you in part by Block 50 Global Radio. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram is all at Drew Duncan Radio. I am on YouTube and TikTok. Simply look for the real Drew Duncan. And of course, I am wherever you are listening to podcasts. If you missed the show live, simply tell your device to play Fired Up by Drew Duncan on iHeart, iTunes, Spreaker, Deezer, Google, etc. Wherever you are listening, I am there. Still plenty more to get to. We're going to be talking about Stephen A. Smith. Says that Kansas City's not a dynasty, bro. Really? James Harden, Daryl Morey, that whole thing keeps going on. We're going to be talking about Florida and Utah, why I can't stand fantasy leagues, and plenty more. In the meantime, uh, the Arizona Cardinals have released their veteran quarterback, Colt McCoy, in lieu of signing Joshua Dobbs, of course, Kyler Murray, uh, with his injury, missing roughly four weeks, torn ACL. And the head coach, Gannon, has refused to name a starter yet. By the way, a little bit about Josh Dobbs. You probably mainly remember him from his time when he was at uh, Tennessee with the Volunteers. I think they had that one season where they started out 7-0. and A lot of miracles, close games, and then they dropped, I think, the last four or five games of the season. Many believe that Dobbs was going to be a Heisman winner. Regardless, went to the NFL, really didn't do a whole lot. Then he goes to the Titans last season, if I remember correctly. By the way, going, going in and when he finally got an opportunity to play, in the six years he had been there, he threw 17 passes. And all of a sudden, in one game, he threw, I think, over 30. And over, look at it. This is crazy. 411 
411 is the amount of yards he threw at Tennessee. In his career, he has thrown for 466. There are people out there right now that are wondering what the hell is going on, and they believe that Arizona is beginning the process of trying to figure out how that they can tank without looking like they are tanking. Well, first of all, if this is if this is true and they are tanking, this isn't how you go about it. I mean, Josh Dobbs had seasons where he didn't even throw a pass. I think it was 2019 and 2021, if I remember correctly. Two full seasons in the NFL, not one pass thrown. Not in a blowout of a late game, not coming in for anybody, nothing. In fact, I would have thought that Joshua Dobbs wasn't even going to be in the NFL anymore. But they got him from the Cleveland Browns. You know, I look, I, it's difficult to know because it's not that it can't happen. Obviously, Brian Flores, we heard about that recently, right? A couple of years ago, the whole thing with the Dolphins, whether or not they were tanking, he was told to you – know, he alleges anyways that he was told to purposely make calls that he knew probably wouldn't work in game. You know, just don't try so hard. Is basically what he alleges. The other thing I think about is why is Gannon their coach? It just kind of starts to add up because I'm thinking to myself, Eric Bieniemy is still out there. And I know that Gannon was a defensive coordinator for the Eagles last year. So many people thought that defense was so good. They gave up 28 points a game. Okay. Eric Bieniemy's offense had over 7,000 yards last season. And he's still an offensive coordinator. In fact, there have been complaints about players all of a sudden coming in about Bianami, about how he's getting on top of guys' heads. If you want cages rattled, you got to do what you got to do. Andy Reid went to bat for him. The point of what I'm saying is none of this looks good. You know that Bianami's out there. He's been very successful since he's been in Kansas City. I know that Patrick Mahomes is making people look maybe a lot better than they really are. But if Josh McDaniels is going to get a shot, with the Broncos, with the Raiders, why not give it to the enemy? Gannon probably won't last this season, if I'm being honest. And with Kyler Murray, you never know what kind of quarterback you're going to get anyways. Because he's, he's kind of, I don't want to say he's hit and miss, but, I mean, let's be honest, when you've got to put stuff into contracts about dudes playing Madden, I mean, to me, it's almost like Murray wants to play Madden instead of be on the cover. The Cardinals are just a mess, is what I'm telling you. They look like they're being goofy right now. And when you're being goofy, it looks suspect. At the bare minimum, it looks like you are showing your ass in public. And I don't really know why in the absolute, because these are unjustifiable things that the Arizona Cardinals are doing. You're damn right I'm going to be critical of Gannon. Do I know what he could do as a head coach? No, but I know what he can't do as a defensive coordinator. 
how does he get work over Eric Bieniemy? It doesn't even make sense. That's and that's potentially a whole different conversation by itself, isn't it? That's potentially an entirely different conversation by itself. There's no way in hell he hasn't done anything. That Philly didn't Philly give up over 30 to Detroit last year? Detroit won their last eight games. Dude, they're not going to be good this year. I'm so sick of that hype train. They're not going to be good. They are still the Detroit Lions, and Jared Goff is still Jared Goff. The point that I'm making is you can't tell me that when you're giving up top five points allowed per game in the NFL as a defensive coordinator, that's symptomatic of I should be a head coach. Bill Belichick was a defensive coordinator and got head coaching jobs because his defenses were consistently finishing in the top 10 in the NFL in positive ways. Points per game, yards allowed per game, yards per play, coaching guys like Lawrence Taylor, getting his respect. Can you imagine trying to earn the respect of Lawrence friggin' Taylor? That guy doesn't need coached. He just needs to be cut loose. What I am telling you is this whole thing looks a little suspect. Now, I am not of the mind to go ahead and jump on popular opinion. I think everybody and everything is innocent until they're proven guilty. It certainly doesn't look good to start with. And I will say this. I guess we could give it a shot, but I, I'm just frustrated because to me, there's no reason why you couldn't have gone after the enemy. None, literally none. That man should be a head coach somewhere. The fact that he's not is a disgrace, especially with that Andy Reid coaching tree already and how successful it's been. I have no idea what the issue is. Maybe the rest of the world knows something I don't, but I don't agree with it. And letting go of Colt McCoy, no, he's not the best quarterback in the NFL, but we've seen him be successful in some games at Washington and other places. He can get the job done for you. He's at least decent. Josh Dobbs hasn't proven anything. Literally nothing. It's like they don't care. Legitimately, it's as if they do not care. And that's really sad. Clayton Toon is the quarterback. Doubt he's going to do anything. All right. I am Drew Duncan. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram is all at Drew Duncan Radio. I am the real Drew Duncan on TikTok and YouTube. Do not forget, I am wherever you're listening to podcasts. If you miss the show live, you can find me on iTunes, iHeart, wherever. Tell your device to play Fired Up by Drew Duncan. I am brought to you in part by Block 50 Global Radio. In the meantime, still plenty more to get to. Obviously, we're going to be talking about Florida, Utah, why I can't stand fantasy leagues, Daryl Moore, or Daryl Morey and James Harden, Stephen A. We'll be back right after this. And I mean it when I say it, damn it. Don't you dare touch that dial.
Hello, everybody. I am Drew Duncan. Thank you for checking me out on Block 50 Global Radio. Do not forget that Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram is all at Block 50 Global Radio. Global Radio is online all day, every day for many things, not just my show. If you are listening, in case you forget my show, do not forget that you can listen to me wherever you're listening to podcasts. I am on iTunes, iHeart, Google, Spreaker, Deezer, wherever you're listening. I am there. And, of course, you can always follow me on social media. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram is all at Drew Duncan Radio. That's Duncan like Tim, not the donut. We'll be back right after this. Don't you dare touch that dial. Everybody, I am Drew Duncan. You guys are checking me out live on Block 50, or brought to you in part by Block 50 Global Radio. The show is fired up. Do not forget that Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram is all at Drew Duncan Radio. You can find me wherever you're listening to the podcast. Simply tell your device to play Fired Up by Drew Duncan iTunes, iHeart, Google, etc. Wherever you're listening to the podcast, I am there in case you miss the show live. You can find me on YouTube and TikTok. Simply look for the real Drew Duncan. Plenty more to get to a little bit later on. Obviously, we're going to be talking about Florida, Utah, fantasy leagues, why I hate them. For the record, yes, I I just, I be in here jamming, for real. Just kicking it. Y'all ever seen it at Memphis? Whoop that trick. Get him, whoop that trick. Get him. At the basketball game, especially during the playoffs. It's a lot of fun to watch, man. I'd love to go there and be a part of that one day. Stephen A. Smith says that the Chiefs are not a dynasty. They haven't won back-to-back Super Bowls yet, et cetera, et cetera. Look, if you just said Mahomes is the dynasty, I'd have understood that. Look, I'm a lifelong Broncos fan, and I'm pretty much a lifelong Eagles fan. I've always had four teams, Denver and Philly in the pros, Syracuse and Nebraska in college. As a diehard fan of both teams, Chiefs respectfully as a journalist, as somebody who takes their job seriously, this is probably going to make me puke a little bit in my mouth. But the Chiefs are the best team in the NFL right now. They have the best quarterback in the NFL right now. They have been to three Super Bowls in four years. They've won two Super Bowls. They've played against some of the best competition in those AFC title games that they, you know, with Joe Burrow and the Bengals, the, the you know, the Buffalo Bills. Tom Brady and the Patriots and figured out ways to get the job done for the most part. If he would have said Mahomes is a dynasty, I would have probably come up on that. Look, I am of the opinion that Andy Reid is a great coach, but I don't think he's the GOAT. He'll probably end up in the Hall of Fame, 
I think he's a damn good coach, but I, I believe that McNabb and Mahomes made him look a little bit better than he really is. If I'm just being perfectly clear about it and honest. Well, how can you say that? Well, I'll tell you how I can say that. Number one, uh, without McNabb, how good was Philadelphia? I don't want to hear about going to the playoffs. I mean, how good was Philadelphia, number one? Number two, they got Mike Vick. It looked like it was going to work out. I'll admit Mike Vick got hurt. But how many playoffs, playoff games did Andy Reid win without Donovan McNabb until he got Patrick Mahomes? I think he won one with the Chiefs, which finally ended that 20-some-odd-year drought. And as a lifelong Broncos fan, as I said, I knew that when Andy Reid got to the Kansas City Chiefs, number one, that $39 million in unused salary cap was going to go away. That was first and foremost. And I knew that at the bare minimum, they were going to start winning games and make the division a lot tougher. I knew that was going to happen all at the bare minimum. Now, I understand that everybody needs that great player who can push you over to the edge. And you could argue that McNabb never pushed over to the edge with a win. But I still maintain to this day that Terrell Owens playing in that Super Bowl was the worst thing that could have happened to the Philadelphia Eagles. There are players that have come out and said that they were wide open and McNabb was purposely targeting T.O. because of everything that was going on with him. Look, all McNabb said was, we're just going to have to play as good as we can without him. We've been here before. We're fine. And McNabb took, or T.O. took it all personally, which he takes everything personally. Everything. Everything. Literally everything. Personally. So I guess I should watch how I tiptoe around it. Look, there's no doubt that T.O. is one of the greatest wide receivers of all time. I mean, there was a play when he was with the Dallas Cowboys. This dude made a catch. T.O. was like 15 yards behind him. T.O. ran past him, made a block, and still made it to the end zone before old boy did. There's no doubt about T.O. It's just that he manipulated the McNabb situation over the years into making people believe that it was McNabb's fault and that he basically was just an innocent bystander in this whole thing. And McNabb was just the world's biggest jerk. Not the case, Brody. Divided the locker room everywhere that he went. Now, I'm not going to get too deep into it because that's not what we're talking about. The fact of the matter is, up until he got Patrick Mahomes without McNabb, what did Andy Reid really do other than blow a lead to the Indianapolis Colts? I'll wait. Mahomes is not only the dynasty. He is the franchise. He is Kansas City. Now, I'm not saying there's not other good players. Travis Kelsey is still probably one of the top three best tight ends in all the NFL. I'm not saying that there haven't been other contributing factors. Tyreek Hill, while he was still there, worked very hard to go from just a return guy to also a receiver and potentially one of the best in the NFL. Some would argue he is the best in the NFL. Some would say he's top five in the NFL, top three in the NFL. All depends on how you look at it, but I don't think anybody's got him outside the top five in the NFL. That's just pretty point blank. I'm not saying they're one of the contributing factors, but I myself last year said, ain't no way. No more Tyreek Hill. That offensive line is mid at best. The defense isn't that good. Now we're going to find out what Patrick Mahomes is made of. And boy, did we ever. 
You don't need a cheetah when you yourself are an apex predator. And that's exactly what Mahomes is. That dude stays hungry. He is driven, man. I mean, seriously driven to win. I don't know where it comes from. I don't know what gets inside of him. As long as he stays healthy, he is probably going to end up being the greatest quarterback of all time. He is, to me, what John Elway would have been if he was in this era. Go watch some John Elway highlights. You will see exactly what the hell I'm talking about. Put them side by side with Mahomes. Man, they marry each other like crazy. Saying that they're not a dynasty is a little crazy to me. I mean, over the last four or five years, when you think about the AFC, especially when Tom Brady left, who else do you think about? It is the Kansas City Chiefs. Every single year right now, they are in the discussion as Super Bowl contenders. How many years did we go without hearing that about the Kansas City Chiefs? How many? Over two decades. That's horrible. The fact of the matter is, they are the team, and it goes through Arrowhead, whether we like it or not right now, in the AFC. I love Joe Burrow. He's one of my favorite quarterbacks. I love Lamar Jackson. I think he's way better than people give him credit for. I was hollering for him to get that payday. Patrick Mahomes is the guy on the team right now. And I'm going to tell you something. The fact that he stays so hungry, half a billion dollars, two Super Bowls, what what is left? What is legitimately left other than to hell with it, I'm just going to go break all the records too and win a few more titles while I'm at it. It's just the way that it is, man. Kansas City is a dynasty whether we like it or not. It's not about back-to-back. It's about overall dominance. You don't have to win back-to-back to to be dominant. It's symbolic. It seals the deal. But when was the last AFC title game that didn't involve the Kansas City Chiefs? I'll wait. They own it right now. They are on it. They're there every year, and if you want to win, you got to go through them, and that's all there is to it. They are a dynasty. That's pretty simple. All right, everybody. I am Drew Duncan. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram is all at Drew Duncan Radio. Would somebody give me my music, please? Thank you. You can find me on YouTube and TikTok. Simply look for The Real Drew Duncan. Wherever you listen to the podcast, I am there. Plenty more to get to. Florida, Utah. Why I Can't Stand Fantasy Leagues. We'll be back right after this. Don't you dare touch that dial.
Hello, everybody. I am Drew Duncan. You guys are checking me out live on the show, Fired Up. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram is all at Drew Duncan Radio. You can find me on YouTube and Patreon. Simply look for Drew Duncan. I am wherever you are listening to podcasts. Tell your device to play Fired Up by Drew Duncan. On iHeart, iTunes, Google, etc. Wherever you're listening, I am there. Plenty more to get to today. We're going to be talking about Daryl Morey and James Harden. Florida versus Utah. Fantasy leagues. Just not a fan, bro. Not a fan at all. In the meantime, Daryl Morey and James Harden, that whole situation is a lot deeper than you may think it is because it goes back nearly a decade and not necessarily in the way that you would think that it does. This is probably going to confuse a lot of you once you hear this. So I want everybody to buckle up, okay? In case you forgot, in 2013, Maury was promoted to GM when he was at Houston. In fact, he was the one that orchestrated the trade to get James Harden from Oklahoma City. While he was still there as the GM in 2018, James Harden, that was the year he won the MVP. Now, in 2020, Maury stepped down, and then he goes over and he gets picked up by the Philadelphia 76ers. In 2022, he then orchestrates a trade to get James Harden over to the Philadelphia 76ers, which, by the way, that trade included Ben Simmons, who now says he wants to go back to Philly. In June of this year, Harden opts into his contract, once traded, and in, I think it was later on, July, where Maury said he confirmed it out in public that, okay, yeah, they were going to go ahead and go do it. Well, then in August, Adrian or Wojanowski over at uh, ESPN, old Woj, claims that talks had stopped of a trade. Later on in August, James Harden calls Maury a liar, says he won't play for any organization that he's a part of. That's what spears the NBA to jump into what they believe was the appropriate action, and that was to fine James Harden. The reason why they find him was they said because he was showing intent to not play. Now, mind you, in the NBA, you are not allowed out of your contract. You can't hold out. So like in the NFL, you can hold out, right? Not in the NBA. If you hold out, you don't show up. They terminate your agreement, period. It just kind of makes you wonder what is really going on. And why isn't Harden happy anywhere he goes? Him and CP3 couldn't get along. He couldn't get along with other guys in the locker room. CP3 doesn't get along with anybody. Harden doesn't get along with anybody. Anytime Harden wants to go somewhere, whether it's from Oklahoma City, whether he wants out of Houston, whether he wants out of here, out of there, the NBA pretty much just lets him do whatever the hell he wants to do. And I think that fine was a nice little love tap saying, uh, Brody, Here's the scenario, amigo. 
you're not going to do that. Here's a fine just to remind you that even if we think you are not going to play, then you're not going to. That's fine. But we're going to hijack your wages. (sighs) I've gone over this over and over again. And to be honest with you, I'm kind of tired of going into it. But I want to be very clear before I say anything else. I believe a player should have control over their own destiny and have control over their own career. I understand that you and I, we're not making, in most cases, the type of money that James Harden is. I know that it's difficult to wonder why James Harden is complaining about where he is or what kind of money he makes or anybody for that matter. I get it. But simultaneously, if you and I want to quit a job because we find a better place to go, most of the time we can easily do that. There's not a whole lot of people out there signing contracts that have to do with you know, NDAs and agreements in terms of competitive agreements to where you can't work in the same industry for X amount of time within the same amount of miles, et cetera, et cetera. There's not a lot of us out there that are doing that. We're not signing compete clauses, okay? It's the way that it is. Having said that, I do think that the NBA has allowed him to do just about everything he wants to do. Right? He he didn't want to be in Houston anymore. So even though he was showing up to games and playing pretty well, he wasn't in training camp. There were videos and pictures of him all over the clubs and bars and everything else. He was doing basically everything other than going to practice, but then he was showing up to the game. So he found a loophole. He worked around it, and he kicked and screamed his little baby way into doing whatever he wanted to get done. In most cases, I will say that athletes are not big babies. In this case, with James Harden, after a while, it's kind of like, bro, don't you fit in anywhere? Maybe you're the problem. Has anybody ever considered that it might be that way? I mean, look, I know that James Harden plays really great during the regular season, but in the playoffs, what the hell happens? What in the absolute hell happens to him in the playoffs? Yeah, I know. He hit a game-winning shot okay, in that, in that series against Boston, but in his last two games there, he also scored 13-9. and nine. And nobody knows why he wants trading because he's not going to say anything. Maybe he doesn't want to be the number two guy. Who knows? Joel Embiid is the guy. And I will say this, that honestly, James Harden, I said in the first series, um, it was the best that he had ever looked. And he really didn't even score that many points. I think he had like 20 or something like that. I mean, at least by his standards, right? But but he was double digits in assists. He had a double-double that game. And I just thought he looked so good. He looked like a team ball player. To me, he looked like somebody who had accepted his role you know, I don't know if he just gets mad because he he loses and he just wants to leave and he blames everybody else, but it's kind of like after a while, bro, you're always there when it happens. What else do you want from everybody? I mean, seriously, what else do you want from everybody? And it gets annoying because over here, you've got this whole thing going on with Dame Lillard and the NBA is shutting him down. They've blocked trades, and they've told him that if uh, Miami's the only team that you want to go to, we're going to investigate that. We're going to figure out every way on planet Earth we can 
to just beat up your ass. Right? But with James Harden, with KD, with LeBron, they just let these guys do whatever the hell they wanted to do. James Harden's been walking around the NBA pretty much scot-free. He doesn't really have a reason to complain at this point. Now, I think he's calling Daryl Morey a liar by saying he said he was going to get me traded out of here. He's now backing out of it, saying he's not going to do it, and he's lying. Now, some people have talked about money that is supposedly owed to James Harden, but there's literally nothing that I have read out there that just seems like fan theory. If anybody can show me something that's die hard, I will certainly look into it. Now, I can understand that if somebody tells you they're going to do something, you better damn well do it. It doesn't really matter what it is. If you better have, hey, you said you're going to get it done, get it done. I trusted you. This was out loud. What the hell? I don't know why he's that frustrated, but I think there comes a time where maybe it's not everybody else, bro. It's just you. Are you sure that you dumped a Kardashian? You sure they didn't dump you? Are we positive about that? I don't watch Keeping Up with the Kardashians, so I don't know. But I'm starting to feel like, you know what I mean? I just, it's like a guy who just goes through toxic relationship after toxic relationship and blames everybody else but himself for him. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram is all at Drew Duncan Radio. You can find me on YouTube and TikTok. So we look for Drew Duncan. The show is fired up. Brought to you in part by Block 50 Global Radio. Coming up, we still got fantasy leagues to talk about in Florida versus Utah. We'll be back right after this. Don't you dare touch that dial. I am Drew Duncan. You guys are checking me out live on the show Fired Up. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram is all at Drew Duncan Radio. You can find me wherever you are listening to podcasts. If you miss the show live, iTunes, iHeart, Google, etc., wherever you are listening, I am there. Still plenty left to get to. We're going to be talking, obviously, about Florida and Utah. In the meantime, I kind of want to do a combination thing because, man, first of all, I want to tell people, I cannot wait for the third Equalizer movie to come out. I already got tickets in hand going on Friday. Friday, I have given myself the leeway. The one thing that I have taken from Skip Bayless that I am going to keep is that is Friday nights, man. You got to give yourself just that time. If people knew how much we really worked in this business, you would understand why we are giving ourselves at least that one day to just do whatever the hell we want. Now, obviously, you know, during college football season, you know, if there's like a really big game on or something like that, you know, I'd probably watch it. But in the meantime, not a lot going on, at least this time of year for that. So I'm going to go ahead and go see the third Equalizer movie. And by the way, hate me all you want to for it, but the the Equalizer flicks are better than John Wick. 
And I say that partly because, and I know all you Keanu fans are going to come for me, but Keanu is this guy. Look, Keanu's a nice guy. Everybody likes Keanu Reeves. I don't think I've ever heard one bad story about Keanu. I mean, hell, there's even a movie named Keanu by Keanu Pills is funny as hell, right? The cat named Keanu. I mean, everybody loves Keanu Reeves. Everybody. Here's the thing. The movie, the John Wick series, is basically four long stretched out movies of another movie that came out. I think it was like 0405. It's called The Protector. And instead of a dog, it was an elephant. You go watch The Protector, and you're going to be like, dude, this is John Wick with just like a couple of added things. That's it. It's literally John Wick. I like the John Wick movies. Don't get me wrong. They're good, but it's just the protector. And I just think that the equalizer is better. And I don't know if it's because I like Denzel more, but I do know that I love the equalizer a lot better. I just think that they're very more engaging and there's a lot more depth in the storyline. It's not just a bunch of action. In fact, I, I, for the most part, I like Denzel and action flicks better. Like, you ever seen Safe House with him and Ryan Reynolds? Man, that was a badass movie. I mean, badass movie. Loved it. I've watched it I don't know how many times, man. The chase scenes, the car chase scenes in in that movie are just extraordinary. Extraordinary. So I'm excited to see that flick. Like I said... Tickets on reserve, the whole thing. I'm on it. Back to business. Why are fantasy leagues such a thing? I can't get on anything, anywhere without doing research on sports, without seeing fantasy leagues. And I know it's been going on for a long time. But if you've ever watched that documentary on 30 for 30 about it, I think it was Daniel Crunt who invented, and it wasn't even called fantasy baseball. It was like popcorn baseball or something to that effect. And he said, now I know how the guy who invented the atom bomb feels. He was talking about the lives of people being destroyed because of it. He was alluding to that anyway. I mean, all these places filled up where all these people are just over and over again, gambling every last penny that they've got on fantasy leagues. And it doesn't take a whole lot either. You can download any app. You got to be 18, have a debit or credit card, and you're good to go. And I just think to myself, man, that is pretty easy for anybody to gamble. And anybody could, you know, and you don't have to have really any sports knowledge. You just get in there, you start drafting people, and people treat it like it's the real thing. I mean, guys doing trades one, two, three o'clock in the morning when they got to be at regular jobs at five, six a.m. Just insanity, losing hours and hours of sleep playing fantasy football, fantasy basketball, fantasy baseball, betting on any and every aspect of it. It's bizarre to me. I guess I've never understood it. And that's why I've always been so careful when I tell people what I do for a career because they're like, oh, man, what do you think about uh, the over-under on this game? Like, ah, bro, I'll say it on the radio, but I don't say it because of betting or anything like that. 
And even then, I don't talk about over and under. I just say who I think is probably going to win and why. That's about as far as I go. I'm not giving you a point spread. I'm not giving you so-and-so is going to have X amount of touchdowns or yards or any of that stuff. I'm not doing it. I know a lot of guys who have been paid to do commercials for that stuff. And I got to tell you, I'm 50-50 on whether or not I would ever accept an offer. Just because then at that point, I feel like I'm putting myself into the stratosphere of I could be trusted to help you with betting. I, I would never do that. Not that I'm worried about being right or wrong. I just don't want to give in to anybody's habits. But, I mean, you see it all the time. I mean, even mid-game, it's, you know, the the opportunity to win this game is now X amount percentage in favor of so-and-so. You know, who's going to score the next touchdown? I mean, all these different things, I just, it, it's madness. If I could participate for free, I've done it a couple of times, you know, for Super Bowls and whatnot. But, I mean, I've never paid anything. And if I win, great. If I lose, nothing, you know. I didn't lose anything. I didn't lose sleep. I didn't lose money. I didn't lose anything. So there's that. Kind of short and sweet on that. We still got Florida and LSU to talk about. We're going to get to that. My name is Drew Duncan. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram is all at Drew Duncan Radio. I'm wherever you listen to the podcast. If you missed the show live, simply tell you if I should play Fired Up by Drew Duncan on iTunes, iHeart, wherever you're listening. I am there, and I am brought to you in part by Block 50 global radio shout out my mans my a1 p-dub for putting me on bro i appreciate you we'll be back with florida and utah right after this don't you dare touch that dial I am Drew Duncan. This is Fired Up. You guys are checking me out live, courtesy of Block 50 Global Radio. Do not forget that Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram is all at Drew Duncan Radio. Additionally, I am wherever you are listening to podcasts. If you missed the show live, go ahead and tell your device to play it on your favorite podcast network, iTunes, iHeart, etc. Wherever you are listening, I am there. We have had a big show today. We're going to top it off with Florida and Utah. You know, first of all, if I'm being 100% with everybody, I really didn't walk away from this game impressed with either football team. I wasn't impressed with Utah. I really wasn't impressed with Florida. I mean, Utah really just kind of stunned everybody, right? You got a backup quarterback in Barnes. He's in. And instead of doing something obvious, like running the football right away or doing like a quick out or a screen or some sort of swing play or something, you just, you go for the gusto. 70 yards, first possession after you made a stop on Florida, right? So you're at home, you get a good defensive stop, your first play, you score, and it looks like they're going to be in complete control. Then all of a sudden things kind of seem to settle down, Florida gets a field goal, but 
the issue that I had with both teams in this game was honestly pretty simple. It really boiled down to execution, especially for Florida, right? Uh, horrible, horrible penalties in this football game. And this football game is part of the reason why I hate people who only go off of stats. It's obvious when somebody hadn't watched. It's a whole stat line. They they quote wind shares and all these deep stats at you. Bro, we're not doing all that. This isn't deep state. We're not figuring out quantum physics and quasars and stratospheres. We're not doing any of that, dude. This is football. You understand? It's more than just stat lines. Because at one point, if you looked at it, the Florida Gators only had 20 yards in penalties. But those penalties were on third and one, fourth and one. They were pre-snap penalties, delay of game. And now you're at fourth and six, third and six. Couldn't convert on fourth down, missed a field goal. Uh, There was a play where they got a penalty on a punt from Utah. And as a result, Utah, instead of having to turn the ball over on downs, got it back. And it was something simple as two guys wearing the number three. Two of the same jersey number out there. Don't tell me that's an easy mistake. It's an easily avoidable mistake. And look, that crowd was loud, and I get all that. But, I mean, again, you convert a third and five, you get an illegal formation, third and ten. You convert a third and five, you get a holding call. The fact of the matter is, I'm not really sure that Utah beat Florida. I just feel like they beat themselves. There were times when I thought Utah was doing a good job of taking advantage, but the reality is, is they had, I think, an average field position of on the 45-yard line in this game. Was it five times they started on the 50 or better? I mean, at one point, they were up 24-3 to in that football game, and I'm sitting there thinking to myself, they should really be up by a lot more. They should have dominated that football game if they were that good. And I also didn't like the coaching decision either to do a two-quarterback system. Why are you doing a two-quarterback system? Pick a guy. And it burned him. I mean, Johnson had two bad plays that nearly cost Utah possessions. Then there was the bad throw. Utah had some drop passes. I really just think that the Utes didn't feel like they could beat Florida coming into this game. It was the great Howard Schnellenberger who said, if they're going to run gadget plays, they don't think they can beat us. And while I love trick plays and it almost worked, it didn't work. Again, should have beat Florida by a lot more. I think they should have just pounded the ball. They were having really good success running the football up the middle. Not really sure why they didn't stick with that aspect. If you were going to have Johnson in there, I know that you don't want the defense just to key in on him and just run strictly option plays. But at some point, I mean, what are you going to do? Bobble snap, bad throw that turned into a fumble, nearly an interception. And it really stunned me because right out of the gate, again, Barnes was playing pretty good football. He's in rhythm. Why stop it? I mean, you know, little things that he did. At one point, he was four for four. He drops back. He looks over. There's nobody there. He's got a guy in his face. Throw it away. 
smart football. Just don't understand the need to change it. That's all I'm saying. So regardless, Utah walks away with a win. And the bottom line for me is I just walked away not impressed with either team. Uh, maybe as the season progresses, Utah can show some improvement, especially once they get their QB back. But at this moment, I just don't see it from either team. And if Florida wins more than five games, I'll be surprised. Probably looking for a head coach next year. I'm just being real. All right, everybody. I am Drew Duncan. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram is all at Drew Duncan Radio. TikTok and YouTube is the real Drew Duncan. I'm wherever you listen to the podcast. If you missed the show live, simply tell your device to play Fired Up by Drew Duncan on iTunes, iHeart, Spreaker, Deezer, Google, etc. Wherever you are listening, I am there. I am brought to you in part by Block 50 Global Radio. We will be back on Monday, obviously with a weekend of college football. A couple of big games, mainly Florida State taking on LSU, the rematch from the Classic a season ago. Obviously, next week, the NFL is getting ready. Thursday, the Kansas City Chiefs are going to open up against the Lions. We'll be previewing all kinds of NFL. Do not forget that the show is live Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. I'm Drew Duncan. Stay safe out there. And as always, don't you dare touch that dial.